Hello, everybody. I can see a few new faces here, so hello if you're here for the first time. My name's Troy. Uh, for everyone else, or, and the new people as well, who woke up this morning and then realised how, just how freezing it was and rolled back over? Yeah, I wanted to, but I couldn't. Well, have your Bibles open at Mark chapter 5, because we'll be working through that and thinking about some of the great things that we see there that we just read. Let's pray. God, our Father, we thank you for giving us your word as a lamp for our feet and a light for our path. Please now show us how we should live. Show us how amazing the Lord Jesus is. And please give us strength to live like him and for him. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. True or false, suffering proves that God doesn't exist. Hey, we've got some falses in the room, that's good. You may or may not have heard this accusation against Christianity before, but it goes like this. If God is really all-loving and all-powerful, then he would do something about the suffering in this world. And because as we look around at everything that we see in this world and there's suffering, well, then God can't exist. So either he doesn't exist or he's all-powerful and doesn't care, doesn't want to do anything, or he's all-loving but not able to save us or do anything about it. So this leads people to conclude, clearly he doesn't exist. God doesn't exist, or maybe if he does, he doesn't care, or he isn't powerful. Now you can safely assume that I think this statement is false. Why? It's because of passages like this one. As we just read, and as we will see, this passage shows us, Jesus does care, and Jesus is powerful. Jesus cares about the suffering and desperation of this world. And he's also able to do something about it. Well, we've been reading Mark's Gospel and thinking what amazes us about Jesus. And if you haven't been amazed by Jesus so far, then you haven't been listening. If you haven't been amazed so far, this is the day that you will be amazed. Jesus does the impossible twice. And we've already seen Jesus doing impossible things, haven't we? Remember last week we saw Jesus calm a raging storm with a word. And we saw him cast out a legion of demons from a man. And so people are asking, who is this man? Who is this man who does impossible things? The wind and the waves and the demons obey him. And today we can ask the same question of our passage here. Who is this man? Who is this man who raises a little girl from the dead, who heals a woman of her chronic illness? Well, let's get into the passage and see. And if you also remember last week, you remember Jesus crossed over the Sea of Galilee, up the top there, the little sea, and he went to the region called the Decapolis, the big green bit on the right. And that's when he calmed the storm on the way. And then when he got to the Decapolis... That's where he freaked out the people so much that they asked him to leave. And so he gets back in the boat 
and he's heading back over. Verse 21, have a look in your Bibles. He crosses back over to the other side, to the Galilee side of the sea. And once again, crowds flock to him. But this time, Mark doesn't focus on the crowds. Instead, we meet a man named Jairus. So have a look, verse 22. One of the synagogue leaders named Jairus came, and when he saw Jesus, he fell at his feet and kept begging him, My little daughter is at death's door. Come and lay your hands on her so she can get well and live. So we meet a man named Jairus. Who is Jairus? Well, we see he's a synagogue leader. So he's an upstanding, respectable man in, the, in, in society. But even upstanding citizens face the tragedy of a sick daughter or child. His daughter is so sick, she's about to die. You can hear the desperation in his voice, can't you? She is at death's door, just on the other side of it. If things don't get better for her, she doesn't have long. Most of us here aren't parents, but my guess is that the most worrying thing that our parents ever go through is when we are sick or in hospital. If you're a parent, you can probably agree with that. Jairus is desperate for Jesus' help. He's helpless to do anything for the daughter that he loves and he doesn't want to lose. But even here we can see his faith, can't we? Jairus simply believes. Jesus is the one who can save my daughter. If Jesus just lays his hands on her, she will be made well. Well, what happens next? Have a look, verse 24. Jesus went with him. Let's stop there for a moment. Don't skip over just those few simple words. Jesus went with him. Jesus took the time out of his day to go to this man's house to show him compassion. Jesus cares, doesn't he? If we think that we have busy schedules and lots to do, and if we think we don't have enough time to be compassionate to those in need, we should look at our Lord. He had more to do than all of us combined, didn't he? Yet he stopped and took time to show compassion to this man whose daughter was sick. We should imitate him. We should give ourselves freely to others. Because if Jesus can do it, then we don't have any excuse, do we? Jesus cares. He is compassionate to this man in need. But now Mark hits pause on that story because... While they're on the way to Jairus' house, something amazing happens. Now, I'm not a big fan of really big crowds of people, especially the kind of crowd following Jesus through the dusty streets of Galilee. I think the modern-day equivalent would be a music festival. Lots of you have been to a music festival before. If you've been, you will know well the hot summer sun beating on your face. You will know the crowds of surging people you will know the smell of sweat. You will know the dust in the air that coats the insides of your nostrils and then comes out later on when you blow your nose. Who knows that? 
That's music festivals. Love the music, hate the crowds. As Jesus is heading to Jairus' house, Jesus has a crowd like this following him, surging, pressing against him. It sounds awful to me. I don't want to be there. But in the middle of this bustling, noisy crowd, there's one particular woman. Let's meet her in verse 25. A woman suffering from bleeding for 12 years had endured much under many doctors. She had spent everything she had and was not helped at all. On the contrary, she became worse. We meet this poor woman who probably had a menstrual bleeding problem for 12 years. Stop and think about that for a moment. 12 years. Some of you, that's half your lifetime or more. Imagine having chronic bleeding for 12 years. Imagine the pain and struggle with dealing with an illness like that for so long. Although there's some of you here who don't have to imagine. Some of you have had a chronic illness for many years. Some of you for 12 years. Maybe more or maybe less. But whatever the length of time, you know this woman's desperation and frustration. You know her physical suffering. But more than her physical suffering is the cultural shame of being unable to conceive, of probably not having a husband, the shame of being ceremonially unclean, constantly. More than that, she'd spent all that she had on multiple doctors. Maybe some of them took her money knowing they couldn't do anything. Maybe some of them really tried. But what was the outcome? No better. In fact, worse and left with little to live on. This woman's situation is awful. Do you feel for her? She's, her situation is almost as awful as the demon-possessed man of last week. Helpless and hopeless. But this woman has a plan, doesn't she? She takes one more desperate attempt at getting well. Have a look at verse 28. She thinks, if I can just touch Jesus' robes, I will be made well. What incredible faith, yeah? So she pushes through this bustling, noisy, dusty crowd. And when she just gets within arm's reach of Jesus, she reaches out and can just get the edge of his robe. And verse 29, immediately her flow of blood ceased and she sensed in her body that she was cured of her affliction. In that instance, as she reached out and just touched the robe of Jesus, 12 years of bleeding stopped. 12 years of struggle, 12 years of doctors, 12 years of bills, 12 years of being ceremonially unclean, 12 years of shame. Cured, healed, saved, made well. Who is this man? 
Who is this man that even a touch of his clothes will heal you? He is Jesus, the Lord over sickness. Who is this man? He is the Lord over all sickness, who can heal with just a touch of his clothes. And how does the Lord over sickness want people to respond to him? Well, he tells us, first of all, he says, who touched me? And his disciples say, dude, everybody's touching you. What are you talking about? But then in verse 33, the woman comes forward and tells him everything. And then Jesus shows us this response that he desires. In verse 34, have a look. Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be free from your affliction. Faith. Faith is the response that the Lord of sickness wants. Faith is what connects people to the power of Jesus to heal. Trust and believe that he can heal you, and he can and will. And it's the same for us. Not that he will heal every physical sickness that we have, but he will heal our spiritual sickness. Jesus saves us from sin and death and judgment and hell if we have faith, if we believe and trust in him to save us. But now Mark comes back to his previous story, the little girl part two. And as Jesus is saying these words to the woman, some people come from Jairus' house and deliver the worst possible news. Your daughter is dead. There is no hope and there is no reason for you to bother Jesus anymore. Just imagine being Jairus at that point for a moment. Hearing those words, having that that disbelief and that sense of numbness when you get bad news like that. But Jesus overhears what they say and so he turns to Jairus and looks him in the eye and says, have a look, end of verse 36, Don't be afraid. Only believe. There's that response of faith again. Jesus says, I want you to have faith in me, Jairus. I want you to believe that I can still do something about this. Trust in me that I can save your daughter. Faith is the response that Jesus wants. So on they go to Jairus' house. And when they arrive, Well, it's obvious what's happened. In verse 38, there's a commotion and weeping and wailing and crying. Clearly the girl is dead and the grief and mourning has begun. Have you ever witnessed someone mourning in that kind of way? Weeping and wailing in agony over a loved one? Or have you you at least seen it in a movie? It's not an easy thing to watch, is it? You almost feel as if you shouldn't be allowed to see this moment, this private and deeply painful moment. And so we feel uncomfortable and awkward when we see that kind of mourning and grief. It happened to me a few years ago when I was on holidays up in Port Macquarie in a caravan park. We were eating dinner and then we overheard some of our neighbours They had just got the news that their daughter had died in a car accident. 
Let me tell you, the mourning and the grief was profound. It was loud and clear and there for all to see. A somber quietness came over the rest of the caravan park for a few days as people witnessed this display of grief and could only respond in silence. Imagine walking past the house of Jairus on that day and feeling that sense of awkwardness and not knowing how to respond. But Jesus knows exactly what he's going to do. He's going to make things even more awkward. He steps into the house, and what does he say? Have a look, it's ridiculous. Verse 39. Why are you making a commotion and weeping? The child is not dead, but asleep. Wouldn't you be so offended if someone came up to you at a funeral and said that? They're not dead. What are you worried about? You'd want to hit that person, right? I know I would. Isn't that the worst possible thing to say to someone who is mourning like that? So you can understand why they start laughing at him. I'm surprised they didn't hit him. They, they knew death when they saw it. They knew this child was dead. And so they laugh. Death didn't happen in hospitals and nursing homes. It happened in homes. They knew what it looked like and they knew it, it wasn't fixable. Nobody comes back from the dead, but here comes crazy Jesus saying his crazy things again like she's only sleeping. But Jesus sticks to his plan. He kicks everyone else out of the house. And then he just takes three disciples and the parents into the child's room. And then in true Jesus style, have a look at verse 41. He took the girl by the hand and said to her, Little girl, I say to you, get up. Next time you're at the shop, maybe tomorrow or maybe the next day, I want you to do this. Go up to the butcher and ask if you can go back out the back into the freezer. And I want you to go up to a dead pig that's hanging up by its hind legs. And I want you to go up nice and close to it, lean forward a little bit, grab it by the trotter and whisper, Get up. Just try it. See what happens. I can guarantee you nothing will happen. When you or I tell something that is dead to get up, does it listen? No. But when Jesus says, Little girl, I say to you, get up. Verse 42. Immediately. The girl got up and began to walk. When Jesus says, little girl, get up, in that instant, a girl's heart begins to beat. Her lungs fill with air. Her brain switches back on. Her muscles engage. She stands up and walks. Who is this man? Who is this man who says, get up and a dead girl rises he is Jesus the Lord even over death our Lord is the Lord even over death does that amaze you some of you are doctors and nurses and I know that at some point 
some of you have had to perform CPR. And I know that sometimes it's worked and brought the person back to life. But I also know that often it hasn't worked, sadly. You know that coming back from cardiac arrest is not an easy thing. And it involves hard work. Did you know that if you have a cardiac arrest outside of hospital in New South Wales, you have a 10% chance of surviving? Coming back from cardiac arrest is not easy. And it involves hard work. But here, Jesus is dealing with someone who's been dead for hours. And he doesn't do any CPR. He just says, get up. And her body obeys his voice. Jesus is the Lord even over death. He can raise with simply a word. And that's amazing, isn't it? Isn't it? If you are not amazed, I want to ask why not? This is spine-tingling stuff. In the course of a day, Jesus heals a woman of her 12-year illness and raises a girl from the dead. Are you not amazed by that? Does, not, does that not amaze you? It amazes me. Because when I look at this world and see all the terrible sicknesses and the tragedy of death, I long for an answer to it all. I long for it all to end, for all this suffering to finish, for death to be undone. And in my more frustrated moments, I want to cry out, Jesus, why don't you do anything? Why don't you save and heal and raise people from the dead like you did in this story? Don't you care, Jesus? Aren't you powerful? Then I realized that, yes, it is wonderful that Jesus raised this girl. Yes, it is wonderful that Jesus healed this woman. But they went on to get sick and die again. Why? Because Jesus' miracles here are pointing to something even bigger and better. When I reflect on it, I realize that these miracles are pointing to the day when Jesus returns and he heals all sicknesses of all his people and he raises all believers who have died to eternal life. If you have never read about our hope as Christians in 1 Corinthians 15... Go home and read it. But here are just a few of its amazingly comforting words. Listen to what the Apostle Paul says that day will be like when Jesus returns. It's on your outline. For he, Jesus, must reign until he puts all his enemies under his feet. The last enemy to be abolished is death. Then the saying that is written will take place. Death has been swallowed up in victory. Death, where is your victory? Death, where is your sting? One day Jesus will come back. And in that instance, hearts will begin to beat again. Lungs will fill with air. Brains will re-engage. Muscles will be turned on. And people will stand before the Lord of the universe the Lord over sickness and even over death. And then he will remove sickness and remove death from his creation and we will be with our amazing Lord forever.
In this passage in Mark's Gospel, Jesus shows us he is this Lord over sickness and death. And he gives us a glimpse of what he will ultimately do on that day he comes back and raises us for eternity. When he defeats sickness and death fully and finally. So be amazed by Jesus. Did you see the response in verse 42? The people say, no, it says, at this they were utterly astounded. Wouldn't you be too? Be amazed, be amazed and utterly astounded by the Lord over sickness and death. Be amazed at the fact that he will one day return and abolish sickness and death forever. But there's one more response that Jesus wants. From us. What does he want? He wants faith. Have faith in Jesus, the Lord of sickness and death. Have a look again at verse 34. Jesus says to the woman, Your faith has made you well. And skip down to verse 36. Jesus says to Jairus, Don't be afraid, only believe. Faith is the response that Jesus wants from all people. He wants us to trust in him, to carry through with his plans and his promises. Faith is what connects us with Jesus' power to heal. Trust and believe that he can save you, and he will. He will give us eternal life if we just have faith. So do you have faith? Do you believe in the Lord over sickness and death, that he is powerful and that he cares? For many of us here, we would say, yes, I believe in him. And for us, we have to ask the question, not simply, do I have faith, but do I have persevering faith? Not just faith that says, yeah, I believe that's true. No, faith that will get through Faith that will go through the ups and downs of, Je- of life until Jesus returns. Some of you have had chronic illness and pain for a long time and you want to give up your faith, but no. Have faith in Jesus to help you deal with your illness and have faith that he will restore you fully and finally when he returns and raises you free from sickness and pain. And even if you haven't had chronic illness, there's plenty of other stuff in this world that wants to steal our faith. So we have to decide to persevere in faith. We need to keep trusting Jesus to the end. How do we do that? How do we persevere in faith? Well, the answer is nothing new. It's the Word of God and it's prayer and fellowship. It's reading God's word daily. It's praying to the Lord and meeting with brothers and sisters in Christ to encourage each other. These are the things God has given us to persevere in faith. The word, prayer, and fellowship. And if you remove yourself from any one of those things, then what, what hope is there that your, hope, your faith will persevere? Do you think you can go without the word of God or prayer or Christian fellowship for a time? Then you're in danger. If you think that your faith is strong enough to persevere without these things, you're wrong. 
We constantly need God's word to feed us. We constantly need to rely on God in prayer. We constantly need the encouragement of brothers and sisters in Christ around the word of God. Well, let's finish with these encouraging and challenging words from Hebrews 3 on your outline. And they talk about just this, persevering in faith together. Watch out, brothers, so that there won't be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart that departs from the living God. But encourage each other daily while it is still called today, so that none of you is hardened by sin's deception. For we have become companions of the Messiah if we hold firmly until the end the reality that we had at the start. Jesus is Lord over sickness and death. He is able to save us and he cares enough to do so. Will we persevere in our faith so that one day we will be raised with him to spend eternity free of sickness, free of death? Let's pray that we do. God, our Father, we thank you for our amazing Lord. And we thank you that we could again be encouraged and challenged by what he says and the incredible things that he does. Lord, please help us all to persevere in faith. Please help us to make the most of the gifts that you have given us, your word, prayer and fellowship with other brothers and sisters to strengthen our faith until the end and please bring us to that final day where we stand before you healed whole and renewed and we look forward to that day and we pray for it in jesus name amen